0: Why me? Why did my spouse's job have to be the one they cut? Or why can't schools just be open like normal? Why can't we just have normal again? And why did COVID have to happen right in the middle of our wedding plans? Or why is God letting us stay in this season that seems interminable? And why would he allow tropical storms or hurricanes in the midst of COVID, and speaking of hurricanes, why did my house have to be one of the ones that flooded in the last one of those we had? You ever asked a question like that? When I was a boy, I figured if you, if you believe in God and you try to be a good person, he's gonna take care of you and bless you and protect you, and I figured if, if you're a believer, God'll let some bad things happen, but nothing really bad. The more I've lived, the more i've come to study god's word the more i've come to see clearly the bible says anything but just the opposite becoming a follower of jesus it's it's not a, um, a vaccine against suffering jesus himself said in this world all of us will have trials and tribulations job he suffered terrible things joseph he suffered horrible stuff with his brothers and all. David, he suffered, Paul suffered. When all hell breaks loose, you and I, we tend to think we're among the unfortunate few. Why? Me, but we're not. Nobody's exempt. if you look back at history, Almost all ancient people knew this world is a rough place. They expected it. Lots of babies died and life expectancies weren't anywhere near what they are now. But see, since we live in a technological age, you and I, we have a lot more trouble dealing with the challenges of life than people even 75 or 100 years ago. Because back then, if something went wrong Say a child was born with some sort of physical difficulty. Nobody ever thought about suing. Now everybody thinks of suing. Why is this? Because science, technology, they've promised more than they can deliver. We live in an era that says we're in charge of this universe. So if something goes wrong, well... The government should have changed it. Or the doctors, they should have fixed it. Or the schools, they should have done it. If not, let's yell, let's scream, let's sue. Worldly wisdom tells us we're in charge. And consequently, you and I, we're not very well prepared for suffering in this day and age. In fact, one source I was reading said, "Our scientific and technological world view actually disequip us for trials and hardships and suffering a lot worse than in previous eras." And this COVID era is accentuating how ineffective many of us are at it. It's taken normal out at the knees, and though many would like to close their eyes and say there's no place like home and there's no place like home and, and get back to, 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 to normal. God seems to be leaving us in it. And this is why I'm excited about starting a new series today, a series in which we're going to be working through the book of James. See, James, more than any other book in the New Testament, is he's nothing if not practical. He was the Lord Jesus' half-brother. Now, he didn't really believe Jesus was Lord until Jesus appeared to him in resurrected form. And you know what he starts his short letter out talking about today's topic? Adversity, trials suffering because suffering was exactly what his readers were going through 2000 years ago see in verse 1 of chapter 1 in James you're gonna be turning there following along he says he's writing to all the believers dispersed from Jerusalem why were they dispersed they were fleeing from their lives from the Roman government and other citizens who wanted to get rid of those Christians And so these Christians have spread out throughout Asia Minor. They're isolated, they're lonely, they're living in far off lands, separated from their friends, separated from their loved ones, afraid, going through some major trials. Nothing is normal. And today I wanna cover the first 12 verses in chapter one. He's gonna tell us to do four things in this passage. So if you're a note taker, when trials come, Here's what he says, first choose joy. First choose joy. You see that in verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice he doesn't say if you face trials. He says when, whenever the trials arrive. Why? Because nobody gets a pass this side of heaven. We're always in one of three relationships to hardship and suffering. We're either in it now, or we just came through it, or it's coming next week, next month, or next year. So James says, when it hits, choose joy. Now at first glance, that seems really weird, really confusing. He He wants me to be joyful about my trials. Like the doctor says, it's cancer and it's aggressive and you're like, awesome, or I lost my job, glory to God, or my spouse just left me, or we can't pay the rent this month, just love it. No, no, he's not saying be about, being jo- he's not saying be joyful about the trial itself. All those things I mentioned, plenty of others, they're terrible, he's not saying be phony. And so it's normal when those sorts of things happen, to feel shocked, to feel dismay, to feel fear, to feel grief. It's okay to cry and grieve and lament pain and loss. Jesus even showed us those emotions himself. But what James is saying is, is when all hell breaks loose, how you choose to think is ultimately going to matter more than what you feel. And he sings, therefore, choose joy. Choose joy. Because you can be confident that when a trial hits. Well, think of it this way. It's it's just as if God has admitted you into his gym. Now, why do we go to gyms? Not for the pain that workouts bring, but for the results they yield when we walk out, right? Stronger muscles, more agility, healthier heart, leaner body, those results are the prize we work for, right? But the path to the prize always involves pain, always. And, and even God, even God didn't exempt himself from trials or suffering. Even he, he didn't immunize himself from pain. He said, instead, I'm going to enter into this sin fallen world. I'm going to play by the same rules. I'm going to suffer too. And sending his own son, Jesus, he came into this sin infested world. Why? So that he could live the life of sinlessness that none of us would ever be able to live so that he could die the death of punishment all of us deserve so that in the end he could conquer the grave none of us could have ever conquered. Why? Because our salvation could never have been achieved if he had not gone through the pain of those trials for us. So it's kind of silly really when you think about it, right? For us to demand more And better than even our Lord God, right? But we do that. We demand more and better because you and I, we want results without having to go through the trials and the pain of the gym. And James is saying, yeah, that's not how it works. Jesus endured rejection and loneliness and alienation and humiliation and abandonment and pain and Ultimately, death. Why? Why do you endure all of that? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, for the joy set before him. In Psalm 35, you read, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so, what James is saying is, is, reach forward to that joy that you know will sooner or later eventually come. Even when you're not feeling it, choose it, lasso it, and pull it from the future back to right now. That's the first thing he's saying. He's saying you got to choose joy. And then secondly, he says, determine to cooperate. Cooperate with what? With whatever our divine coach is seeing fit to let us go through. Why? Verses three and four tell us, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, our problem is that we we resist trials though, don't we? We fight them. We rage at them. We, we try and squirm our way out of them. But James is saying, hey, You'll never become mature and complete. You'll never become all that God has in mind for you to be unless you develop the perseverance needed to finish what he's up to inside of you so that you'll become mature and complete in him. So with all the talk of colleges and universities getting ready, I've been thinking about my experience. I don't remember much about many of the classes I took at Vanderbilt but I'll never forget one. Cassian Kowalczyk was my professor. I was taking one of his communication classes on giving speeches, and in his class, I remember we were always having to turn around another compelling speech. He'd say, next time I want you to have a speech uh, on this or, or that or the next subject. Interesting introduction, coherent points compelling conclusion. And since you didn't know when he was going to call on you to stand up in the class and give your speech, you always had to be ready with every successive period. It was really stressful. And one night I, I was working and it just wasn't coming and I was frustrated and I was worried. I was panicked and I was just all locked up and, and I wanted out, but I couldn't get out. I remember that Dr. Kowalczyk worked many evenings in his office, so I walked across the campus into that grand limestone building, climbing the stairs and going up to his office and finally in. He spun around his chair and I probably looked pale as a sheet with panic. He said, Mr. Wierlein, what brings you in this evening? Best I recall, I I said, it's the talk. it's, it's, it's my next one. I, it's, I, it's, I don't know if it's right. I don't, I don't think it's any good. I'm not ready. I, I can't do it. He said, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Tell me what you want to say. I said, well, what I want to say is, is this. And I have this thought and I have this point and I have this line of reasoning. And he listened and smiled and he said, okay, you've got more than you think you do. What if you said this and move that here. And then, Mr. Wehrlein, I want you to go back to the library and look up this source and consider this line of logic. I was taking notes as, as fast as, as he could talk. And even as I was doing it, I could just feel the blood coming back into my head and, and, and starting to feel like, you know what, I think I can do this. I think I can get through this. And when he was finished, I, I stood up and started to leave. And he said, Mr. Wehrlein, stay with it tonight, you have speaking gifts. Now get back to the library. And he said, have fun with this and I'll see you at class. I'm telling you that moment would end up having probably a greater impact on the total trajectory of my life than anything else I remember, certainly from that year at school. Why? Because in God's great plan, unbeknownst to my professor, and certainly unbeknownst to me, God was laying a foundation in me that night for what I would end up spending the rest of my life doing, writing talks. In hindsight, I'm really glad he didn't let me off the hook. I'm glad he didn't let me squirm out of the gym, so to speak. And I'm glad that I cooperated with what God was doing through the stress of that long night. James is saying cooperate with the trial in verses 3 and 4. But then what if you can't see any future good whatsoever that could come from the trial that you're in? When you can you can make no sense of it. When you're wondering, God, why in your wisdom are you permitting what in your power you could prevent? Hmm. That's the third thing. James tells us, ask in those situations, ask the Lord for more wisdom and deeper insight. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it'll be given to you. But James says in verses six through eight, yeah, but don't bother asking if you're not really committed to receiving and acting upon whatever he shows you. So ask for insights, ask for wisdom and ask for extra faith to be obedient and to act upon what he shows you. There's all sorts of things he might show you, but I'll tell you one bit of wisdom to which folks throughout history have attested uh, learning in their trials. It's this, it's that trials consistently reveal how much hope we put in worldly things that will never last. We say, oh, I trust you, God and you alone. But in reality, all of us live with divided loyalties. Take money, for example. We say, I trust in God, not in my money. But then the stock market drops like a rock as it did back in March. And we're like, oh my gosh, how far is it going to go? How far, oh Lord, how far? And, and, And coincidentally, James talks straight to this reality and Verses 9 through 11, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even while they go about their business. What's he saying? He's saying so often when tough times hit, what do we do? We reach for our resources rather than for the Lord. We cling to the things that are fading because we put a lot of our worth and value in, in currency that won't last through eternity. It'll be worthless. And so see, only in the furnace of suffering is what we were truly trusting in revealed. But once it's gone, once you lose your money or your job or your marriage or a relative or your health or a child or a dream, then when it's gone and you're falling because it's been cut out from under you, then, only then, will you and I realize what we really were depending upon and find the opportunity to lean on him instead. And people who've learned this lesson, well, those are the people whose stories inspire us, and those are the people whose books we want to read and whose talks we want to listen to, because we admire them. And Like Johnny Erickson Tata. You remember her? Broke her neck in a diving accident when she was 17. And for decades since, she's been a quadriplegic. So she, she learned to paint pictures with a brush in her mouth. And she's written books and she's spoken all around the country. And, but listen to what she writes here. She writes, if I could... I would take this wheelchair to heaven with me and standing next to my Savior Jesus Christ, I would say, Lord, do you see this wheelchair? Well, before you send it to hell, I wanna tell you something about it. You were right when you said, in this world we would have trouble. There's a lot of trouble being a quadriplegic. But you know what? The weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned upon you. And the harder I leaned upon you, the stronger I discovered you to be. Thank you for the bruising blessing. It was a severe mercy. Thank you. That's wisdom. That's perspective. So James is telling us, choose joy, cooperate with the coach in the midst of it. Ask for deeper wisdom and greater perspective and then fourth. And finally, remember the reward that awaits you on the other side. Verse 12 tells us, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So is he saying we get the prize of heaven if we pass through our trials valiantly? No, he's reminding us there that because our savior did pass through his trial valiantly. We who love and follow him as best we can through our lesser trials, even in the midst of our trials, we can look forward to our heavenly reward through Christ. So the other night I walked into the living room here, found my boys watching a documentary on the 1980 United States Miracle on Ice hockey team. One of them said, Dad, you were alive back then, right? Yeah, I was in high school. And so I sat down to watch it with them. Now, for those of you who can't remember, or maybe you weren't here yet, it's a fascinating, riveting story of a demanding hockey coach whose name was Herb Brooks. He assembled a team of young men who would form the 1980 US Winter Olympics team for hockey, a sport that US had never been particularly great at, certainly not compared to the much dreaded Soviet Union, that hockey machine that they had. Of course, the story builds to the climactic game where they would meet their greatest challenge, the Russians, the Soviets, the hardest team. They play with all their heart, with all their might, and as the clock runs out, three, two, one, Al Michaels hollers out, do you believe in miracles? Yes! Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And the Americans won. The whole team runs out or skates out, they pile on and, and they're hugging and they're embracing and the goalie wrapped himself up in the United States flag. I'm telling you, it was a moment. It was an unforgettable, unifying moment for our country, a collective victory that all of us celebrated. But you know, those guys, they didn't just fly in, meet up at the Olympics, do some warm ups and start playing together. Oh no. Brooks had chosen those young men and he had worked them mercilessly for weeks and months before the Olympics, pushing them, yelling them, making them skate repeatedly back and forth across the rink even after games were over just to build up their conditioning. So they'd be a little bit faster and a little bit stronger and a little bit better than the Russians if they could get to play them and hang on to the final period of the game. He demanded everything from them and they all leaned in and they became the team. They gave us what Sports Illustrated ended up calling at the turn of the century, the top sports moment of the entire 20th century. But the path to the prize was pain suffering. Did they enjoy that part? No, but for the joy set before them, they endured those trials. They cooperated with their coach. They grew wiser and better at their sport. And together they claimed the prize of their gold medals. And so, loved ones, shall we, so shall you and I, someday in eternity. We someday, verse 12 tells us, we will claim our crowns of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him and who've run our race and persevered through our trials. So James tells us today, stay with it. Persevere, because the best is yet to come. Let me pray for us. Lord, so much of our life is filled with trials and frustrations, they make us weak, but we remember that you're strong and you're in control and that you love us and that you're leading us and that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And Lord, my prayer is that every person who's watching right now, whether they're in our area or other parts of the state or other parts of the nation or other parts of the world, Lord, all of us are going through our own trials right now. Seems like there's more than ever. Um, Lord, won't you give us grace? Won't you help us to remember you're not the first generation to go through it. In fact, we may be one of the lesser effective generations ever to go through it. Help us to go back to your word that we've studied today in James and to let those words sink into our souls and bolster us to the end that we might become fully mature and complete in you, Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're... Uh, watching and worshiping today, and, and, but you've never said yes to Jesus in the first place. You've never trusted him into your life and invited him to be your Lord or, <clears throat> or Savior. I just want to invite you right now to pray an extra prayer right now. Just say, <clears throat> Jesus, I'm asking you to come in. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, to put your Holy Spirit inside of me that would fill me that you would guide me, that you would help me see my purpose and what it is that you're wanting me to do as I learn to follow you in faith and obedience. I want to become a follower. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus.